From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And it's the Friday VinePair podcast. Friday. So sure is. God, Friday, so, good. Mm-hmm. so good. So uh, good. So we're talking about Amari's today, or Amaro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> Amari I, is the you, are, plural. Amari. Are you, uh, are you both wait, 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 Amari? Wait, wait. Before we get into this, I have Why? to ask, because this is actually part connected to this whole thing. Oh, please. So I, I always <laughs> kind of struggle internally when I think about this, because yes, Joanna is correct. Amari is the Italian plural for Amaro. But in this country, is it? aren't you being a little bit pompous if you're like, <clears throat> it's actually Amari, as opposed to just saying Amaro's like the way that we would pluralize any other yeah, word? Just like when you go to the fucking Starbucks, you're like, I'd like a croissant. I'm like, no, it's a croissant <laughs> here. Just calm down. You're being a pompous you're ass going at Starbucks. Star- you're going to Starbucks <laughs> chill down. I'm just saying, you know, I've heard people do it. Come on. Croissant. No, it's like you. I, you're gonna have- I took you more for a Pinot chocolate kind of guy, Adam. No, dude. First of all, this, this is how little you know me. Oh boy. People who are here would know my what my favorite croissant is. Oh, almond. Of course. Always, all day. It's almond. Always almond. <laughs> but I'd never have it because I'm like, I don't, do I need that much sugar? <laughs> I'm already hyped enough. Uh, anyways, so. No, this is like saying paninis. Yeah. It's a panini. Panino. Or a panino, right? So. Well, it's a, a panino or panini. Oh, yes. Cor- correct. Right. But, anyway, but again, I, I feel like maybe it's Italian good, you get a little bit of you get a little bit of a break on cuz French is inherently more pompous, but like yeah. I think there's a point at which when you start going like excuse me, it's actually you're eating a single raviolo. Um, <laughs> raviolo. That's, Honestly, that's, I think that's less offensive than somebody who's like rigatoni alla vodka, you know? <laughs> like that really so just much. gets like cooking really with zippy. you off. Cooking, cooking with zippy. <laughs> Oh, finally, Adam's dream has come true. It gets to reference it on the actual podcast. Uh. <laughs> so, anyways, anyway. uh, are, are you both Amaro fans? Yes, Amaro fans. Yes, I, I I like it, but I feel like um, there's a whole world of Amari that I just don't know too much about. Oh, that's what so. I want to somewhat chat about too. What about mm-hmm. you, Zach? Are you a fan? Oh, absolutely. And and yeah. I, I think it's actually, for me, one of the categories of spirit that I enjoy exploring most because almost more than any other, you really have no idea what the fuck you're going to get when you try no, it. you really do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, why do you think it took so long to pop off in the U.S.? I think that Amaro, whatever, Amari, Amaro... They're very challenging yeah. um, to the palate, and I think that that's why it's like very, like you said, you don't know what you're going to get depending on the um, Amaro that you're drinking. Um, very bitter, very herbal. We've discussed Fernet on this podcast yeah. before. I just think that to most um, American palates, that's very challenging, and especially you know if it's not very sweet either. Yeah, um, what you're drinking, then and then it's like very hard to. Um, enjoy that and and so i think that that's the reason why it's taken so long for it to really reach reach our palates today yeah, that makes sense to me mm-hmm. i think there are a couple of additional reasons beyond those and, and i agree with those Joanna. i think one of them is for a long time frankly the availability in most of the country was very minimal that maybe you could find a few brands um it's only i think relatively recently in the last five or so years that you've seen in many markets around the country more than a handful of amari that are available mm-hmm. right i think the other piece of this is that like Amari and the broader digestif 
and maybe even aperitif category has always struggled to land in the U.S. because we just don't have that as a part of our dining culture in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about how these are classically consumed in Europe, they're an after-dinner drink, but like no after-dinner drinks are popular in the U.S., right? It's such a shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. People don't drink, I mean, don't drink sweet wines. They don't drink, you know, digestifs, things like that. It's just not a part of, you know, grappa, things like that. They're just not part of drinks culture in this country in any large way. And so I think it's really actually, frankly, been the cocktail craft cocktail movement that's really created the market for these spirits uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because it, it's not their original use case. Right. People. I mean, I sometimes will drink a tomorrow after dinner at home or if I'm out. But like I think the vast majority of people who encounter an Amaro are encountering it as a part of a cocktail first and foremost. And and what's really cool about that is like, it's also a very new phenomenon in, mm. in cocktail culture, right? Because they weren't popular here and they weren't in the market. I don't think you find very many classic cocktail formulations that include Amari. So you're saying it wasn't Andrew Carmelini. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does. I think he does have, he tries to claim a little bit that his restaurants are some of the first to like have extensive Amari lists. Um, but yeah, I, I think you guys are, I mean, I think you're right. I think there's, there's so much that's caused it to take a long time, but now that it's come, it's come really hard. Like mm-hmm. I think, and you see it across the country. I mean, it, you know, Luca in Lancaster, Pennsylvania has one of the deepest Amari lists in the country. You mm-hmm. have, you know, like it's not just New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago. Like it's o- overwhelmingly across the country now. People have Amaros on their list. Mm-hmm. And, um, I- I'm wondering if it's also become popular. Obviously, craft cocktails, putting it in drinks, et cetera, but also because it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like I think that like beverage professionals, no offense, Zach, like to have a bunch of stuff that they can then educate you on. And this is like mm-hmm. that this other part of the menu where they can be like, well, oh, you've had no Nina. Well, that's baby's first Amari. <laughs> and now let me show you Braulio or let me show you something. You know what I mean? It's like, let me, let me walk you through and explain mm-hmm. to you things, you know, Somsplain to you. Um, I just came up with that. I think it's a really good thing. We should keep it from now on Somsplain. So let me Somsplain you. Well, I'm pretty sure we've used that phrase before. But. Have we? Oh, Somsplain. So let me Somsplain you. Andrew Carmelini came up with that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm sure Andrew Carmelini came up with it. Okay, he's gonna read the transcript of this podcast and be like, "What? The, who the fuck is Adam Teeter? And why is he calling me out?" So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, does that make does that track with you, Zach? It just feels like there's like a you know, it's it's like another thing to have to show like a huge amount of breadth on your men on your list to then talk to people about to and, and for beverage professionals to geek out over because there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. It's like this oh, thing absolutely. to discover that you don't have in I mean like you can have a bunch of different producers of cognac, but like at the end of the day it's all fucking cognac. Mm-hmm. Not to be mm-hmm. what I mean like there's a little nuance to the cognac, but it's fucking <laughs> cognac. Like yeah. this is, you know, ever as you said, you like you never know what you're gonna get. Right. And so yes. that's like a fun a- adventure for almost any drinker. And like then you pass it around the table and everyone's mm-hmm. like, you try mine, you try mine, you try mine. Like I think that's why maybe it's gotten so so popular so recently. I think it's also that people are more like there are more adventurous eaters and drinkers yeah. now, right? I think there's been like a more emphasis on food and, and beverage mm-hmm. in our culture in recent years. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Oh yeah. I think it's I think it's both those things, right? I think yeah. you need guests and and drinkers who are willing to take that, you know, voyage with you. Mm-hmm. And certainly in this category to some extent you do need I mean, you might not seem need someone to some explain it to you, but you may need someone to at least point <laughs> you in the direction because you know, I think even the thing that you said earlier Joanna about, you know, how they're bitter and intensely herbal is not 
really completely true it right. really depends on where on the amaro and where especially in italy it's from and that you know, you actually have a, a tremendous range you know adam referenced uh, nonino as, as an amaro that's mm-hmm. on the sweeter side averna from sicily is quite sweet and i think very approachable for a lot of uh, newcomers to the category but of course there are also your very intensely bitter herbal more kind of northern alpine um, amari as well that are very very challenging even for people who do like amaro and and there's also all the things that are essentially Amaro, but are not from Italy, and so therefore get called other things too, whether they're French, uh, German, Austrian, etc. I, what I was going to say, though, in this, as well as this whole thing about offering an opportunity for uh, restaurants and bars to show this, you know, breadth of a category, and you know, of course, in that in spirits, it's easy to do or easier to do because they're not particularly perishable, so you can have two dozen open bottles and it's not a big deal. It's not like having a bunch of glass pours of wine where you're having real spoilage issues. I think the other piece of it is, is that like you are able to, and again, this is maybe not the most flattering thing to say about this community, but like people don't have a good internal register for what the price of a Amaro should be. And so you can charge a lot of money. I'm not saying all of this stuff is cheap, but Amaro (laughs) should not generally be priced the same way that your single malt scotch is, but yet it often is. Huh? It really is. And I think that's really, that's really funny that you say that Zach. I think it is true. Like you like, especially like as Amaro became really popular in the U S and I would travel back and forth to Italy, you would go through duty free and things like that. And you'd see actually how, affordable Amaro is mm-hmm. and like, wait, that Amaro, that, that Montenegro, I can get in duty free for like $25 for a liter. And I definitely spent 15 bucks on a glass of it, you right. know, recently. Like, I think that's really, in, that's a really interesting point. And are you both ordering Amaro out? Oh, I do. Really? Oh yeah. I don't it's, think I know the price because I don't think I've ever. It's Naomi's at. favorite thing. She'll be like, a round of Amaro's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like at the very end, Naomi loves Amaro way more than I do. And mm-hmm. I really like it. But she'll like, if we are going to a dinner where she knows Amaro's on their, their beverage list, mm-hmm. she will, she like would like to have an Amaro at the end of dinner. Like we'll have mm-hmm. a bottle of wine and then we'll have an Amaro. Mm-hmm. And she really enjoys right. it. I'm really curious. Hot take. I know that we're going to publish a piece next week about sort of its rise through craft cocktail culture, but I am curious if there's another reason it's popped off. Mm-hmm. And that is the IPA. Huh. So Go on. The bitterness uh-huh. and sort of that that herbaceous hop forward profile got people used to more bitter drinks. Mm. And then was mm. that just a natural crossover to the yeah. actual Amaro? And the reason I I asked that as well is because a lot of craft breweries and a lot of craft beer bars, especially like in the early aughts, a lot of them would have Jaeger. They would also have mm-hmm. other bitter liqueurs. Uh, Underberg was a big one they would all have. One, yeah. Right. And so I'm wondering like if they, they actually were the first people that really had this. And then it got grabbed by obviously craft cocktail people and high end restaurants, but that like they primed the, the, you know, they greased the wheels, primed the pump, whatever you want to say mm-hmm. to get us sort of used to these other flavors. And then that's why we're so much more accepting of that. Hmm. That's a really interesting take. What do you think, Zach? I had never thought of that. And like on the face of it, it seems plausible enough to me. Like, I think there's definitely, there's definitely always, it's always hard to say, you know, when, when we see yeah. the American palate shift or change or, or, or sort of broad level flavors become more or less popular, it's always a little hard to say, okay, well, where did this begin? And and mm-hmm. then the answer is usually like, there's no one single beginning for the most part, but I do think there's, there's, you're, it's undeniable that the rise of, of the IPA and of bitter beer, I think helped um, sort of, 
uh, normalize bitterness as a critical mm-hmm. part of food and drink for balance and for complexity. And and in that sense, yeah, I, I don't doubt it. That's certainly the most widely enjoyed bitter beverage um, in the alcohol space has been, you know, sort of hop forward beers for quite for decades. And mm-hmm. so in its wake, could Amaro have slipped in? Absolutely. I think that's totally plausible. Um, I, I don't know if at this point they're particularly connected. I don't, I mean, it's also, you know, one of those challenging things where like the two categories now feel very distinct. Like, I don't think yeah, you see yeah. a lot of people drinking IPAs and having crossovers. Amaro yeah. IPA crossovers. Uh-huh. But, but then again, all things that were once old are new again. And so maybe we will be looking out for, you know, your, your, your IPAs that are Amaro, uh, you know, inspired yeah. soon enough. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So are we going to drink some Amaro? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what are we drinking, Joanna? We have some Chinar here, which is an artichoke uh, forward Amaro. You have Chinar as well, Zach, or no? I do. I do. I'm I'm finishing up one bottle and I have another one here. It's part of the, uh, part of the, the standard back bar at my house. Are you a big Chinar fan? I do like it. And it's actually funny, you know, I'd be curious, maybe we can, I can save this comment for when we've tasted it. But what's fascinating to me about Chinar is it has like a really great, um, natural, in my eyes, natural pairing with a, with a spirit that I think you would not anticipate. So I'll save that for after the taste. Did you, did you ever try the Chinar and pizza? (laughs) The pizza. I did not. I have not done a Chinar or a pizza luge. No. Oh, it's well. Well, We made pizza last night and now I, I could, I could technically go microwave some pizza and, uh, and give it a try, but I feel like Mm -hmm. you need, you need a foldable slice Mm -hmm. and that's not what comes out of our oven. You only live once. (laughs) Everyone should pizza luge once in their life. Yeah. Didn't you pizza luge at a part at the vine pair party? Yeah. The vine pair, uh, summer party. Uh, Tim was adamant. We pizza luge. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, I believe I've been promised (laughs) video of this, but I've yet to see it. So I mean, cause it's like, it definitely doesn't, you know, like at least with an ice luge or something like there's a very clear channel for the liquid. And like, <laughs> you know, even if you try to, to like fold the pizza, it definitely goes everywhere all over your face, but it's a, it's a fun thing. It definitely picks up like the, the grease, like the cheese grease and like the, mm-hmm. you, you really want to do it with a pepperoni pizza. <sighs> yeah. Very good. Anyways. Okay. It's like, a, it's, a, it's like a very high speed fat washing of your, yeah, it's a very high speed fat washing. <laughs> I really like Chinar. Like to me, it's like a really beautifully balanced Amari in terms of like being mm. the really the sweetness and the bitterness working well together. I also artichokes are some of my favorite vegetables, so I always really enjoy that. Steamed or fried? Roasted. Any which anyway. way? Yeah, uh, fried. All of them. I love like fried. like all the ways. <laughs> I love a fried. Artichoke. This is funny because I I really like Chinar. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking back to our Fernet tasting. Just and changes. I was like, eh. <laughs> yeah, but this is totally different. I know they're totally different. They have a similar nose, though, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a mintiness to Chinar as well, mm-hmm. and it's a green nice. vegetal note, which obviously makes sense given that we're talking about right. artichokes. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. So my favorite pairing with with Chinar in cocktails is tequila. I think it works really beautifully with Ooh, tequila. I've never um, tried that. So, so one of, and, and lime as well. So one of my favorite uh, drinks is basic to make with Chinar is um, I, I often make it with Reposado. I think it works also very well with a Blanco tequila, but you basically just do an ounce and a half of your tequila, an ounce of Chinar and a half ounce of lime juice. And it's really mm. fucking good. 
Um, I think I'm gonna have to try this. So it's an mm-hmm. ounce and a half of tequila, an ounce of chino, uh-huh. and a half ounce of lime juice. Yeah, and you just shake it, strain it. Um, you know, you can garnish it with lime, whatever. But there's something about the like, even though obviously, like, I don't think artichokes and agave are related at all. But there's something about the like, green vegetal notes that come out of yeah. both um, spirits that work really, really well together. And the you know the sweetness from the chinar, um, you know, kind of picks up. Uh, and works well with the tartness of the lime juice. There's just all that kind of green energy to it. But um, the one downside is, and this is a downside, of course, to all to a, a lot of Amaro cocktails, is that it kind of looks <laughs> like dirty water. Yeah, um, it's kind of hard that. to avoid. <laughs> this is like the challenge with most things that you put Amaro in. If they're not, especially if they're you're incorporating citrus, right? Yeah, um, it's like the brown is hard to escape. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with this cocktail yourself? I did. I'm very impressed. Good one. Thought you stole it from a bar. <laughs> Not really. I knew you probably came up with it, but uh, I don't think I would have ever thought to put those flavors together. Well, you should save your praise until you actually try it. You can report back on on a Monday, but we'll uh, hope that it was good. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, this is a fun conversation. Uh, if you're a, a big uh, Amari fan, I said it. Uh, hit us up at podcastofimpair.com and let us know which ones are your favorite or let us know about ones that we may not know about mm-hmm. um, and which ones we should be on the lookout for. Uh, and Joanna and Zach, I'll talk to you Monday. Yes, see you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.